Today I'm going to talk about uh, the gospel passage uh, from Luke, uh, Josh already read, except for I'm going to step on some toes and uh, dip into next week's too, because it's just one kind of whole story, and it's kind of it's kind of hard to really get uh, what's going on if you uh, kind of leave it in the middle of the story. Uh, I mean, you only really know what a story means when you get to the end. In the middle, it's still kind of up in the air where things are going to land and what stuff's going to look like. And um, so what I'm going to actually try and connect this to today is uh, try to grab something from the news cycle, uh, the, uh, the kind of like latest social media fear, not fear like Heil Hitler, fear like... Um, <laughs> Ferment, upsetness, yeah. <laughs> Words. Uh, English is an awful, awful language. Um, and so, um, so I don't. And what else? So what I'm talking about is um, this kind of video that really went viral on social media. It's this. Uh, it's this indigenous elder Nathan Phillips playing in Washington D.C. playing his drum in the face of uh, a lot of young men wearing Make America Great Again hats. Um, who, who has not heard or seen about this? Who hasn't? Yeah, no, okay. So most of us have, and this has kind of been dominating a lot of the news cycle, dominating social media. Um, and so the, the first video that came out was pretty much what I said. There was, um, there was some stuff going on in Washington, D.C. This was a week ago. Uh, there was a March for Life, uh, which is protesting uh, abortion, and there was also um, there was also an Indigenous Peoples kind of rally, um, just drawing attention to uh, issues affecting uh, Native Americans in the United States, and so stuff kind of came together. And there was a so the first video that came out was just this elder uh, singing, playing his drum, and these. Um, uh, his name's Nathan Phillips. Uh, he's a, an elder from the Omaha tribe and very, very respected. He's done a lot of great work, it turns out. And and there was these kids uh, surrounding him and hooping and hollering, chanting, doing gross stuff like tomahawk chop and saying, build that wall. And there's this kid right in his face with like a Make America Great Again hat on and he's just got this smug smirk on his face that I personally felt uh, the impulse that I would love to somehow reach into the screen and like wipe it off his face. That's how I felt. And how it's how a lot of people felt. This really um, set off a firestorm uh, throughout social media um, and kind of became a big thing, kind of dominating the news cycle over the last week. Um, you know, it turned out, of course, that um, and some people People calling for these kids to be punished, to be expelled, to be found out who they are. Um, and then a lot of other people who tend to be of the partisanship where anybody who's white wearing a Make America Great Again hat is the right kind of person uh, immediately uh, trying to uh, dig up things like the fact that, you know, Nathan Phillips uh, spent some time in jail, like probably about 30 years ago, as if that has any relevance to the situation, trying to drag his name through the mud. Uh, a real PR tour rehabilitating these uh, turns out to be boys from a uh, all boys Catholic school uh, where, where, where these guys they were at this rally and waiting for their bus and things got a bit out of hand 
and and they obviously acted like total and complete assholes. And so let's just name that for what it is, because there's been a lot of shifting and changing narratives, and that's what I'm more interested in today. I'm not interested in finding out like who's to blame, who started it. That that whole question, um, it's an interesting one to question that question in the first place. And so, and you know, it, 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 what it actually turns out as well is uh, what had been happening once some other sort of footage came out. It turns out that uh, these these white boys had been entering into a bit of a back and forth with this other group called uh, the Black Hebrews, who I had never heard of before, but who turned out to be a, a group of Africans who believe that they're uh, descended, uh, they're the true nation of Israel, uh, descended, and they're very, um, they're very militant in their like anti-racism, and they're always their their tactics are to be very controversial and to basically pick fights wherever they go to sort of expose and demonstrate the racism that they're experiencing in the world. Um, and so they were, you know, saying things to, the, to all these white kids that were uh, inflammatory yet true, such as, you know, saying things about colonialism and such, uh, saying things about white privilege that these white boys probably never heard of before. Uh, and so they responded in kind and they were starting to, things were starting to get ugly. And so uh, Nathan Phillips, the elder, uh, intervened. Basically, he put himself in between to try to sing them a song and try to try to defuse the situation. So that's kind of what was going on. Uh, as far as we know, again, maybe more footage will come out. Who cares? Um, my, my essential, and, and there's, there's one point at which, um, there's one point at which somebody says to the boys who are surrounding now, who've had their sort of, uh, the, the object of their wrath taken away from them, these black Hebrews, they've sort of turned it now on Nathan Phillips. And you know, things could have gotten really ugly there. Um, and things certainly were ugly. And so he sort of took and redirected their wrath against these uh, black Hebrews and sort of took it upon himself, a very, uh, a very Christ-like thing to do. And so what does that have to do with uh, today's gospel passage? Well, not so much until we get into the rest of it. And, and we'll start to see how it connects, or at least how I believe that it does. And so, um, so with this gospel passage, it's, you know, a lot of people will call it sort of like the mission statement, the inauguration of Jesus' ministry here in, in, uh, in Luke's account. And so sort of what's, what's been going on is that, um, well, again, this, the, the, the political situation is that the nation of Israel, well, the, actually Ju Judah, Judea, uh, they're under occupation by a foreign power, much, uh, I guess, kind of like, uh, kind of the most strong analogy there is kind of like Nathan Phillips and his people being under occupation by a foreign power in their land, and they sure would like to kick the bums out. And they believe that God on their side will one day send an anointed one, a Messiah, somebody who will come and kick the bums out, kick out the Romans, so that they can live once again in their land, uh, worshiping their God, um, and, you know, not having this contaminating influence of these foreign occupying powers who they hate a lot. And so they draw on, especially the prophetic tradition, uh, in doing that, there's a few key passages, and the one that Jesus goes on to read here is actually one of them. But the, 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 the double context here is this is, 
This is Jesus. He's, he's the hometown boy coming home for the first time since he's sort of like getting a buzz around and starting to make it big. Um, he's just starting his ministry. There's a buzz building around him. He hasn't come back home yet, but he's kind of been in the area. He's, you know, building up some reputation, some buzz. Maybe this guy is the anointed one, the guy who's going to lead us in kind of our uprising to kick out the Romans. We're going to get rid of those bums. We hate them. God hates them. We hate them. And they're completely justified. They're very oppressed. They are, uh, some estimates are that they are being taxed upwards of 90%. Uh, poverty, starvation. Um, it was a very, very ugly, ugly time. And the Romans were awful people. <laughs> um, peace through victory was, was um, the good news, was the gospel that Rome preached. And so there's this buzz around Jesus. Maybe he's the anointed one. Maybe he's the Messiah. Maybe he's the one who's going to lead us in our uprising and kick out the Romans. He's building a buzz around himself, and he hasn't come home yet. So this is, this is the passage of him finally coming home for the first time. It'd be a bit, it's a bit like, uh, it's a bit like uh, Neil Young coming back to Winnipeg. <laughs> I, had to add, I had to add an extra show, but maybe not. Maybe like Neil Young coming back to Winnipeg the first time, right? No, nobody knew who he was before he left, but he kind of, hometown boy made good. So we're going to see what this guy's all about. And so I'll, uh, I'll, I'll pick it up just here in, in verse 16 and just read through all the way kind of to the end of this story until uh, uh, verse 30. So this is Luke 4, 16. So when he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. Because of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless he will quote to me this proverb, Doctor, hear yourself. And you will say, Do hear also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up for three years and six months, and there was a severe famine all over the land, yet Elijah was sent to none of them, except to a widow at Zarephath and Sidon. And there were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman, the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. And incidentally, uh, never spoke in church again. Synagogue, right? But that was the church of the day, the gathering of the people. He took it to the streets after that. He wasn't going to go for a repeat performance. Um, so I don't know if uh, that's what would happen if I ever went back to Winkler, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to try not to find out. And so what's going on here? 
things uh, things kind of kind of escalated there. He reads some scripture, says, "Today this has been fulfilled in your hearing," and then it all goes sideways. And they try to they run him out of town and try and run him off of a cliff. Uh, they try to lynch him. And so this this isn't this isn't something that kind of appears in your Christian bookstore on like an inspirational poster or a tchotchke, and they all tried to drive him off a cliff. This isn't one of the greatest hits, and yet this is the start of his ministry. Of course, it prefigures in a way the crowd who will eventually hand him over for for, for crucifixion at the end of his ministry. This is already a bit in, in, in small a small picture of of his eventual fate. And so, what what's going on here? Why did they get so mad at him? What what did he do that enraged them so much? Well, like I said. Their obsession as oppressed people is that they want to be released. They're looking for like a second exodus where God is going to fight on their side against their oppressor and set them free. They're waiting for the anointed one, the Messiah, the one who will lead God's people against those bombs and get rid of them and destroy our enemies. Set us free. And so the passage he reads here from the prophet Isaiah, this is kind of like, this is kind of like one of the, the, the core greatest hits in the, like, uh, in like the songbook for, for keeping this dream alive that some, someday God will send his anointed one to kick out the bombs. And so, but the problem is he doesn't, he, 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 he doesn't do it right. He doesn't, he doesn't read it right. He, he misses the key point according to them, for what they know, for what they're expecting. This comes from, this comes from uh, Isaiah 61, and I'll read you the version from there. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. That would have been like, that would have been like, uh, like, like the high point of the chorus where all the chords resolve and everybody's like, yeah. And so what he did by leaving that and the day of vengeance of our God, by leaving instead just on the, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, he just ends it there. It's unresolved. They're waiting. They're expecting. They want. They want to get to the high point where God will come and just wreck the Romans. He doesn't go there, and so he sits down, and all their eyes are. It says all eyes were upon him. Now, social dynamics are an interesting thing. People don't like having a lot of eyes on them. That's why not very many people want to sit where I'm sitting right now. You know, people's number one fear is public speaking. Their number two fear is death, which means that at a funeral, you'd rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy, statistically speaking. And so all their eyes are on him because he didn't do it right. He, uh, he, he did it wrong. He didn't, he didn't sing it right. His cover is no good. And so, finally, with all their eyes on him, he says, today this is fulfilled in your hearing, the year of the Lord's favor, which actually speaks to the tradition of Jubilee 
and I'm not going to kind of go into the whole tradition of Jubilee, but it's this notion every 49 years where all slaves are to be set free and all debts are to be forgiven. It's like this big reset in society that's supposed to happen. It's this vision of shalom and of justice in the land to kind of prevent the way that we kind of tend to split things increasingly into the haves and to the have-nots and to the rich and the poor. It's supposed to be this great leveling that, as far as we know, never actually happened in um, the history of, of Israel. But this dream, um, this dream uh, was very much alive in their imagination, the year of the Lord's favor. But of course, the year of the Lord's favor is only for, for, for them. What the, the, the vengeance is going to be for, for the outsiders. The vengeance is going to be for our enemies. Um, and so this is quickly, this is quickly made clear when he tells two stories uh, from, from, from the Hebrew tradition about two previous prophets. He's first naming himself a prophet, saying he's not being welcomed in his hometown. And he names two other prophets, Elijah and Elisha, who are sent by God to outsiders. In, in times of trouble. There were plenty of people starving, but God sent Elijah to a widow in the outside in Sidon. There were a lot of people who had leprosy, but God sent Elisha to Naaman, the Syrian, who incidentally was the leader of the army of the people fighting against Israel in that day. So this is like the foreign general who got cured of leprosy by Israel's God. So that's that's not the way this is supposed to happen. We got we got kind of we got things bleeding at the edges of the boundaries. But again, we tend to interpret our traditions in such a way that we ignore those kinds of tensions. Jubilee will be for us, and vengeance will be for the Romans. And so Jesus is breaking that open here. He's saying, "No, that's not. I'm reinterpreting the tradition. I'm coming with a new word. I'm coming with something different." What you think you know about who God is, I'm coming to this 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 middle part to to for the recovery of sight to the blind. He's naming them as blind; they cannot see what God is doing in their midst through Him. He's saying that something new is happening, and, and, and so really, what this is is this is uh, like a, a primer course in interpretation. Uh, this is the, the, the ten dollar word for that is called hermeneutics. But how we are always interpreting, we are always looking at something through a grid, through a framework, through a tradition. Nothing is just immediately present to us. They had seen their tradition as something where God is on our side and against them. And Jesus is saying, no, no, this thing has been from the beginning all about the favor of God bursting beyond the boundaries of Israel. And I mean, that goes right back to Abraham. I'm going to make you a blessing for all nations. Right? There's an entire prophetic book called Jonah, where Jonah doesn't want to go extend the favor of God to their enemies. And he doesn't want to go because he knows God is too good, so he won't go. He's mad and depressed about it, that he's got to take this message of favor and repentance to his enemies, uh, to Nineveh. And so there's this, there's this undercurrent and this theme working its way all throughout the Hebrew tradition that Jesus is really starting to bring out here. He's eliminating vengeance from God. From God 
there is only favor is the new word. He's reinterpreting his tradition. All that stuff about vengeance, yeah, well, it's quite clear that there is an angry God who demands vengeance, and it's acted out right at the end of this passage. The angry God is always us. The angry God is always us, and, and they act it out. They try to lynch him. They try and drive him off a cliff, which itself has echoes to um, the Day of Atonement in the Hebrew Scriptures, where... Uh, where they drive the scapegoat, uh, the goat that will bear all the sins of the people symbolically off of a cliff. Um, and so this is, this is again, a rich uh, kind of shout-out to that uh, part of the Hebrew tradition that maybe we're not as familiar with, the one who will bear the sins of the people. And so... So that's why they get so mad, because once you start to remove vengeance from God it stops justifying our vengeance that we crave, that we want. We all have somebody, maybe many somebodies, and we want to see them get theirs. And, you know, that's why, that's why the idea of hell and a final judgment is so popular, because someday they're going to get theirs that are going to be justice. But what Jesus is saying here is he's reinterpreting the tradition. He's removing vengeance from God and in so doing, revealing that vengeance all along resided just within us. He says this many times. Uh, he, he does this kind of reinterpreting in many places. He, all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he says several times, you have heard it said that I say to you. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, which is a uh, part of the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law. But I say unto you, forgive your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. He's coming with a new word. He's coming with something very different, and it's very, very upsetting. And so just as, just as we need to reinterpret uh, the tradition in front of us, where we're certain that we can see, what Jesus is coming to do here is to remove the scales from our eyes so that we can see precisely that all these notions of vengeance are, are just in us. That when we know who we are because we know who we're not, when we know who we are because we are sure we know who our enemies are, and that we are good and righteous in our judgments, and that God is on our side, with God on our side, we will smite our enemies. And this is, this is the age-old story that we are always telling. And what, what Jesus is doing here is he's removing that justification completely. Now, we're slow to get it. It's, you know, about 2,000 years later, and there's still a lot of people running around saying stuff like this in the name of God. It's not like we're... It's not like we, we, we got this one quickly. And so a similar kind of thing is kind of something that, that falls upon us when, again, just just as a mob formed to try and throw Jesus off a cliff. Uh, I mean, one possible definition of what we call today social media is a uh, mob-generating uh, device. <laughs> it, um, and, like, and doubly so because these... Um, 
These are run by corporate entities that are looking to maximize what they call engagement, which is people being very engaged with the things that they can sell ads uh, to you, to you through, for, yeah, to advertisers to target you. And so, guess what? And so they have algorithms that are just trying to bring the things into your feed to get the most engagement. And what gets the most engagement? Vengeance, anger. And so that's why things like this blow up, because we're sure that we can see that we're not blind, that we can see what's going on. We know already beforehand who the enemy is. Nobody, nobody who watched these videos and was either calling for these kids to be punished or for Nathan Phillips to be punished Everybody who's convinced, nobody changed their minds. Nobody had one idea going in and came up with another idea. Everybody knew who the bad people were going into this. And so they, so you, so they form mobs, and they, they try to take justice into their own hands. And that's what's happening all over social media today. And of course, our mobbing is the right kind, and there is the wrong kind. And what Jesus is doing here is saying, no, 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 no. He is naming and announcing today these words that something else is happening in history, that God is the God of jubilee, of blessing, of release of captives, good news to the poor, and that's it. Not, we're going to free captives by killing the captors. No. Because that just reverses the situation and you wind up becoming your oppressor. And the cycle continues. And so, so this is this is an invitation. Because clearly, clearly there are power power dynamics at work here. And clearly um Clearly, the the narrative around uh, these white kids, the narrative or, or what that gets often called right now white supremacy, the, the narrative that they are the good right people, that powerful narrative is 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 coming through society. I mean, this this smirking kid in the MAGA hat is like on like the Today Show immediately, and he, he gets this like PR tour to like rehabilitate him and kind of spit shine his image. They drag up Nathan Phillips, you know, past convictions and make him out to be the villain, make these black Hebrews out to be the villain. The thing is, as long as we're looking for victims, we're going to find them. As long as we're looking for who's to blame, we're going to find somebody to blame. It may be the right person, it may be the wrong person. What Jesus is saying here is that that has nothing to do with God. That has only anything to do with us, because our view of God and our view of ourselves are intimately intertwined in a way that they can't be separated. And so when Jesus removes the justification for our vengeance from God, then it's only us who has it. And they so can't stand it that they immediately demonstrate what that looks like by trying to lynch him. And so so this is, this is a call into a practice and into awareness of those moments, those in-between moments of seeing 
something awful, something unjust. Again, Jesus' people were being oppressed and it was unjust. You know, Nathan Phillips, the Omaha elder, yeah, he, he, he hasn't had an easy life. These black Hebrews, whatever their tactics, you know, they are, they are the victims of colonialism and of white supremacy throughout the world today. It's not like, but that doesn't, that doesn't make them good or right. Neither does it make, neither does it make the white kids that we're so obsessed with looking for who's the goody and who's the baddie that we don't understand that what Jesus is doing here is turning over those categories altogether. That we're all accepted, that we're all, that we all already exist within the sphere of Jubilee of the blessing of God, of the favor of God. It's only favor. That's it. End of story. And that takes away a lot of identity building stuff from us that we usually have going for us, that we know who we are. It's like Canadian identity. We know who we are because we're not Americans, right? We're not like those bums. We're not like those jerks. Um, so I'll just I'll just conclude. Um, I've got a quote here from an author I really like. His name is Michael Harden. Um, he says, "Jubilee is here, not only for you, but for those you hate." In fact, God also goes to your oppressors with this message of jubilee, deliverance, and salvation. And so that is the way that he started his ministry by exposing this. And he did it in varying ways all throughout it. They kept trying to make him the king, and he kept slipping away. They kept trying to make him the Messiah that they expected and they never saw the Messiah who was actually in front of them, the blind. They were blind because they were blinded by vengeance. And it's the same for us today. Whenever we believe that God justifies our hatred and our anger, we're blind. And so this is an invitation to have our eyes opened that whatever vengeance is going on in the world today, wherever there is vengeance, God has nothing to do with it. That's the reinterpretation of the tradition that Jesus brought forth, and they sure didn't like it. Nor do I. I still still feel that, where I just really wanted to wipe that look off that kid's face. My God. Just, yeah. So, so this is a call into that moment in between seeing something that is unjust and wanting vengeance. The, the, there's a gap there that we, that we cross over so smoothly. So it's an invitation into that. So that's what I got for today. And uh, yeah, I would love to talk more about this if folks have questions or want me to draw something else out. My definition of justice. Um, it's a very good question. My definition of justice is shalom. It's 
the, my definition of justice and sh- what shalom is in the Hebrew tradition, in Jesus' tradition, is, is this universal human flourishing where nobody is doing well at the expense of somebody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, right. And I mean, there's there's people, um, you know, to take it like there's 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 categories there. Um, a lot of people like to break justice down into like two kind of major categories: uh, retributive justice, which is vengeance, you know, punish the the evil wrongdoers, and then restorative justice of saying, well, yeah, you have you know violated somebody. You've violated the community, you've acted poorly, but what we're going to do with that is try to restore you to, uh, to full citizenship and to try and like heal whatever it is that's wrong with you that you acted that way in the first place, because that doesn't, you know, that doesn't come out of nowhere. Um, yeah, violence and poverty are inextricably <laughs> tied up in each other. Mm-hmm. And I mean, in the, and I mean, we just we just had Martin Luther King Day in the, in the United States, and I mean, one of the things that he also said is poverty is violence. Yeah. I have a question. Mm-hmm. Kind of misses the point with your <laughs> talk, but sure. I'm going to ask it because sure. uh, perhaps you can enlighten me or mm-hmm. Josh as well. Um, there are some historians who question the credibility of mm-hmm. the story that and the potential issue is that Jesus is in the synagogue mm-hmm. reading from scripture mm-hmm. and there are some historians who argue that because Jesus was a peasant of Nazareth mm-hmm. that he wouldn't be able to read from scripture like that mm-hmm. Yeah. So, just curious to hear your thoughts. Um, yeah, a couple of things. Um, most people in that day and time couldn't read, um, so that's very true. Um, most people throughout in most places in history couldn't read. Um, so, but what what was very um, common. Uh, was uh, memorization of scripture. And so this was a very strong, like in all oral cultures, uh, whatever kind of sacred texts they would have um, would, be, would be memorized. And like I said, this was like one of the greatest hits. This is like kind of like the John 3.16 or whatever. This is like one of the greatest hits of their people. So it's entirely possible that, there, I mean, there's a few possible explanations. One would be, yeah, he could read. He was an exception. That wouldn't have been normal. That wouldn't have been typical. That wouldn't be expected. But maybe, unlikely. It's it's more likely that he he opened the scroll in kind of a ritualistic like you know this is what we do. We open the scroll, but then we just say what we're going to say because we have. Why would I bother reading this? It's all right here. That's just an impediment to what I already know of the scriptures. And so you know he would have been reciting from memory most likely. Mm-hmm. And so it would have been just like a show thing, like, yeah, this is our scripture, but here I'm going to say it to you. So that, that's, that's the most likely thing. But there, there's other possibilities, I'm not really sure. But yeah, I mean, a lot of, a lot of, yeah, a lot of historians uh, have, have made a very strong hobby of trying to find anything that they can do to discredit 
uh, these accounts when a lot of simpler explanations would suffice. Like, again, all these people would, would have had, especially this passage memorized. Nobody there would not have had that passage memorized. That's how central it was to their imagination. So, mm-hmm. it's a good question. <laughs> 